Alright, what's good? It's Bench. It's the Mobcast, episode 2, recording this on Wednesday morning. Today, I want to take a look at the bottom of the table of Overwatch League. We'll talk about some of these seller dwellers, uh, what they can do to fix things before it's too late. There's been a lot of talk about teams like the Valiant, the Mayhem, and the Justice lately. And I think we've reached a point in the season where it feels like we know enough about how these teams perform to say with at least some level of certainty that massive changes have to take place. And in some cases, changes either were implemented already or these teams tried to make changes and failed or they're in the process of making changes. I think each of these teams sort of has their own unique problems And the ways that you go about fixing them, at least in the short term, range from being somewhat difficult to nearly impossible. I don't think any of these teams get drastically better with one or two simple fixes. Do I think the Valiant are easier to fix right now? Absolutely. The big issue with teams like like Florida and Washington is that it's not like they are one or two pieces away. In those cases, it's not just about the players. There are incredibly complex staff problems there too, I think. And when you have guaranteed salaries to pay, it's not like you can just snap your fingers and do away with the current rosters and have this massive reset for these two teams. These teams are are more or less committed to these rosters now. So if changes are going to be made, I think this is a long-term project and not something that gets fixed overnight. So let's start off with the Los Angeles Valiant. With the Valiant, the trade that was reported prior to Stage 2, where Fusions and Asking were set to go to the Valiant for Fate and KSF, I think that probably tells you what direction the Los Angeles Valiant were headed in. I've been saying for a while, this team needs to commit to going one of two ways. They need to build a full Korean roster around Fate, or they build a mixed roster and try to sell Fate or trade them to another team. The reason being, there have been issues with Valiant's chemistry going all the way back to early last year. And whenever I say this, the popular response I get is always, yeah, but Valiant won a stage final and they were one of the most consistent teams all year in 2018. And yes, I agree with that. But winning can go a long ways, I think, in terms of masking problems like that. The team made several changes to its roster throughout the year and staff changes too. They even made changes at the management level in terms of who was really overseeing the Overwatch League organization. Noah, he moved into another role. I can't sit here and say that Noah moved into another role specifically because he was not able to work with the team, but there were definitely some alleged communication issues there between him and some players. There there were very much disagreements between some of the players there too. Now, I don't want to paint Fate as the bad guy here. I think he's an incredibly gifted player. I think he's an asset for that team in more ways than one. But Fate, from everything I'm told, might be better off in a new setting. He seems to be quite particular about who he wants to play with within that team. I don't know if the vision that he has for who plays on that team matches what the coaches previously wanted. I don't think it's necessarily what's going to help that team win. If the Valiant were to trade a player like Fade Away, it's very obvious that there aren't going to 
they aren't going to get someone back who is the same caliber as Fate. I think that's pretty obvious, at least maybe not skill-wise. But if they're looking to change up the culture or the team chemistry within the Valiant, I think Fate has to be the clear choice. Now, for the Washington Justice, fixing this team is significantly more difficult because it's just bad at essentially every level. Wizard is making a significant amount of money, okay? It's certainly not as much as some of the rumors that were going around early in the season, but Wizard is making considerably more than other coaches in this league. At this point, I am very comfortable in saying that Wizard more or less fleeced the justice. Wizard did an incredible job last season building up the mysticism, I think you can call it, the mysticism around his persona. He was often public-facing, but also, at the same time, rarely transparent about his methods. I think the success of NYXL made it easier to believe that he was a legitimate Overwatch genius. But to put it in perspective, when I'm watching a competitive match or, or I'm breaking down VODs, I think I'm at least somewhat capable of, of identifying or picking out things that others might miss. But in terms of getting a complete picture and being able to say what went right, what went wrong, why the fight broke down a certain way, etc., etc., I'll often need multiple replays of the fight. I'll have to watch it multiple times. Slow motion, you know, to really feel comfortable arriving at a conclusion, I think. But then I've also watched matches with with some professional coaches, players, analysts, and to see what they can do in real time, like breaking down a fight simply in terms of being able to, you know, number one, take in the full scope of the team fight. I mean, understanding it on on just so many levels, seeing, again, in, in real time, they pick out and identify almost everything that is going on. They see it on multiple levels. They are already talking about the win conditions for the next fight before the current one ends. They know what swaps need to be made. They pick up bad positioning. They see slow rotations. It's it's everything, but it's it's all done in real time. And I'd say that's the biggest difference between Wizard and some of the other analysts in this league right now. And I use analyst here because I really don't believe Wizard is a coach. I'm not sure he's honestly a very good analyst either. I'm trying to describe through metaphor here. From what I understand, it takes Wizard considerably more time and resources to provide the kind of fight breakdown or analysis that other analysts are capable of doing much quicker. I don't think he has an eye for Overwatch like he tells the world he does. And I also think his vision, I'd call it, is problematic for how Overwatch should be played from a team perspective. So I've talked to a couple players who have trialed with that team, either before the season or during the season, as well as others who are familiar with what's going on there. And what you always hear is that what Wizard wants going on within that team and just the team's approach, I think some of the players have a difficult time buying in because it's just so obviously at odds with what I'd say are standards for how the game is meant to be played. And I'm not talking about challenging conventions. I mean, not even not even prioritizing ult tracking, for example, is something that I hear there. Now, I can't say that Justice don't ult track. I just know from from talking with some people that Others would go into trial or would listen to their comms, and it didn't sound at the time, of course, like that much priority was being placed there. That's just one example. Also, it sounds like 
Wizard very often plays favorites in the team setting, especially when it comes to Giannis. Everything that I hear points to Wizard thinking that Giannis is not only the strongest player within the Justice team, but potentially he thinks that Giannis is the strongest main tank in Overwatch League, which is, it's ridiculous, whatever you want to call it. Um, There are clear dissenting opinions about this within the team. One or two players have been quick to call Wizard on how this favoritism has impacted the way team approaches, the team approaches review sessions, where Wizard seems quick to level criticism on others, and he frames it in a way where it's it's not about Giannis, it's why are you not playing more like Giannis or supporting him more. The decision to bring Wizard in in the first place, I think, is a strange one. There was skepticism about him behind the scenes going all the way back to last season. There are Overwatch League staff, whom I trust, who have told me that they believe Wizard's stubbornness was a huge determining factor in NYXL bowing out of the playoffs. Not just failing to adapt to a changing metagame, but having an outright distorted view of how to approach game planning for different metas. And from what I hear, Wizard seems to, or at least at the time, believe that Pure Dive, when executed perfectly, is the ultimate play style and is dominant across patches. His methods were also called into question where he collected loads of data manually through the help of assistants that was mostly not helpful, I don't think. The data, not the assistance, although who knows. And that isn't to say that data isn't useful at all. It's really just, I think, the specific stats Wizard was looking to collect. I'd say many believe it to be a massive waste of time and, and probably a questionable allocation of resources. Then we have building out the rest of this Washington team. The coaching staff is, of course, Wizard, but let's put it this way. I think if you ask most people in the league what they'd have to say about that staff outside of maybe MKL, I don't think they'd be too nice. Maybe they'd say no comment, but in a comic book setting, their character would have a huge smirk with a thought bubble over their heads and a question mark inside of it. I'm not going to point fingers from, you know, within the organization. I think it's just an organizational failure in every sense of the word. Everything from from initially planning to have an academy team and promising player and staff spots there to turning down to offering and rescinding offers to multiple individuals where you'd most certainly need two hands to probably count the number of people affected there. Then there's who this team decided to trial. I know you have staff members kind of subtweeting the community after signing ARC, you know, hey, look, we don't have money, but for real, players with buyouts were legitimately turned down after what I believe was the initial phase of Washington's tryouts last year. And there is hard evidence that points to the fact that budget was a major issue and played a role with many of the team's decisions last summer, regardless of what the league's, I mean, the the team's PR statement said. From a roster standpoint, and this is why I think it's so difficult now to do something about this, there's just so much wrong with this roster where I don't think it can be fixed in season now. Player contracts are guaranteed, at least it's my understanding that non-option years are guaranteed. So when you have a one plus one, the first year being the guaranteed year, the second year, of course, being the team option, 
regardless of if you cut a player during or after that first season, they're making that money. If the justice were to say, we want to start a rebuild, let's just start from square one, let's do it immediately following stage two, the problem they run into, and it's a massive financial problem, let's say they jettison five players from their current roster and sign five new ones. You're now paying out the remainder of the contracts for the five players you cut while also paying prorated salaries for the new players you bring on for the rest of this year. So you're really double dipping financially there. So what do you do with the roster? Personally, I like Corey's potential. I don't know how much anyone watched him play prior to him being in Overwatch League. I watched him a decent amount back when he was playing with Glad's Legion, of course in a different meta. And I think he has some incredible mechanical skill on hitscan heroes. Like, I mean, we've even seen him pop off a little bit on Widow this season. I also think some of the mistakes you see him making could be a product of the team, uh, a team that doesn't really know what it's doing when it comes to playing 3-3 right now. The Justice, at least throughout Stage 1, there was there was an unwillingness to commit to team fights. Sam Sam was a player who who got better, I think, over the course of the stage. Really, it was Corey and San Sam who were, who were probably the only ones who seemed to have an idea, at least positionally from from what I could see, what they needed to be doing in terms of, of taking angles when available on the enemy team. But the thing is that the Justice were so slow to make rotations. You you often had Giannis kind of off on his own. I'm not even talking about taking these like ridiculously long charge engagements sometimes. He just straight up begin rotating on his own and then you follow his POV and his camera is rotating while he's swinging on an enemy Lucio and meanwhile the opponents have, have already amped speed and the rest of his team destroyed them. DC, they they underutilize speed themselves. I think DC Lucios, if I remember correctly, had been charging sound barrier either faster than any other team, or maybe it, it was the second fastest in stage one. And a lot of that, I think, is is probably the result of prioritizing amping heals over speed, which you can't make a habit of doing consistently in 3-3. In three, three. Um, you're missing out on opportunities to engage the other team and basically just always playing passively if, if that's um, if the stats kind of line up that way. This was a budget roster in, in every sense of the word from day one. There are some pieces. Now you have Arc, I think, which is definitely a good pickup. Corey, San Sam, I like. I was high on Otto coming into the year. He hasn't looked very good this season. If it were me, I think what you do is, okay, so you can't fix this team with, with one or two moves right now. But I also think it would be silly to just let this season play out as is without trying to improve. Understand your contract situations. Know which players are up after season one who you can dismiss if they have an option year coming up. If you have players signed to more than one guaranteed year, that makes things more difficult if finances are actually tight. Decide if you want to commit to a vision for this org after this season. Do you want to have a mixed roster? Do you want to go with a full Korean roster? Let that color how you approach making midseason signings. If you can't figure it out, I think you commit to short-term signings from Tier 2, players who you might be able to develop over the final two stages, and then either keep or sell off to other teams. Low risk, high reward. Don't commit to big, splashy, multi-year signings that will potentially clash with, with the roadmap 
the next person, whoever it might be, to come in who's going to run this team wants to lay out. You need to pay close attention to what's happening elsewhere within the Overwatch scene, I think. Come up with an interview plan quickly to find candidates who you can slot in at the upper management side. Because what you don't want to do is, is wait until the offseason to do this, where you're forced to commit to either picking up or not picking up options on player contracts. And then you finally do hire someone and you've either kept players that that, that person doesn't want or, or you let go players that they would have wanted to keep. That did happen this last summer with certain season one teams. The big thing for me is you just need a new team culture here, and that has to start from the top. Consult with whom you need to, find someone who checks off all the boxes, take ownership over the fact that this year was an absolute mess, make it clear that that your first order of business is to start over from scratch so that you're you're not, no one thinks that you're going to be carrying over with any elements from this this season one team that you know, there's a negative energy there. If you want to keep, you know, one, two, three of the players you think show promise, that's cool too. If it works within new management's plan, even staff, I think if you want to, you can move them laterally within the org if it fits both your goals for the team and the vision of whoever you bring in. But I think that there's there's just so much stigma, negative energy, uh, failure at so many levels within this org right now where it's got to be difficult to try and line up interviews if you're bringing people in where you're, you're, you know, essentially just promising them, bringing them back into this culture. You need to restart there. I think that they need to assume ownership of the situation, realize that they, that there were huge gaps with the way that they built this team. And you need to convince, you know, whatever priority candidates you have that season two is going to be completely different. Um, and you have to make them feel confident that they're going to be able to build the kind of team that they want to uh, and not be hampered with some of the the problematic uh, tendencies or some of the, the, the current practices, I guess, that you have going in within that org. Let's move on from the justice. Let's talk about the, uh, the Florida Mayhem now. I think this is probably the team... I was thinking about when I decided to do this specific episode because, look, I tend to poke fun at Mayhem a hell of a lot. And I know people like it and it's funny, but I also want to make an attempt here at being constructive. I think the first order of business for this team, this is a, from what I gather, from what I'm told, a very, it's a very laid back organization. And I don't even mean just on the competitive side of things. There is a clear divide it seems like between management working on the org side and and those responsible for overseeing the proper Florida Mayhem team it doesn't seem like there is a whole lot of accountability the team is more or less left to its own devices and at least up through stage 1 there doesn't seem to be any sense of urgency to make the necessary decisions that are so desperately needed to to turn this thing around and to be clear i'm not factoring in the success that Mayhem Academy has had this season in NA Contenders. I think that obviously deserves attention and a pat on the back for for fixing what was a little bit of a mess last season. So I do want to point out that, you know, well done to them. The the players, obviously the staff there, uh, nice work. That's actually going to be a, speaking of Mayhem Academy, that's going to be a really interesting game this week with you know, NA Contenders, Mayhem Academy going up against Fusion University and... 
Mayhem's own bare hands saying that Mayhem Academy is going to get the job done this week. So that's definitely something to watch out for. Good luck to those guys. Back on track, though, the one thing that I will say about the org, the Florida Mayhem org, is in a kind of convoluted way, they've shown that they want to, at the end of the day, do right by their players and staff, I think, in the long run. Now, what I mean by that is, while it doesn't seem like they put too much care in the day-to-day of how things are going, or whether the players are being put in a position to succeed, the org's management does make a noticeable effort, from what I gather, to set their players and staff up for success once they might, you know, be done with the org. So what what I'm what that entails there is the org is is active in communications, I think, with other teams to try and and maybe find a place for a staff member or a player or, you know, being very accommodating when when from what I understand buyout fees come into play or maybe don't come into play. So while the org, like I said, there's that clear separation, it feels like, between the org and providing oversight, I think, to Florida Mayhem on a day-to-day basis. You know, if anything, I, I guess commendable that they do seem to be taking an active interest in making sure, you know, certain players who might either not be with the org anymore or on their way out, that they're kind of set up for potential success, you know, in the future, whether that's sending them to another Overwatch League team or setting them up with an academy team. Probably sound like a broken record at this point, but this is the only team from season one. I feel like I say this so much that just seems as clueless now as they were in season one. Like, say what you want about Dallas or or about Shanghai or the Shock. Those teams all made huge moves and they all got better. You know, different degrees of better. I wouldn't say that the Shanghai Dragons and, and Shock both improved at the uh, the same rate, but those teams put in, they committed financially, I think, this summer. They rebuilt their rosters, um, both staff and, you know, player roster. And Mayhem did the same thing, and it's just, it is not working. I don't think there has ever been an agreed upon vision for the direction that this team wants to go in. Or at least, if they do agree on something they seemingly scrap the thought two weeks later and then go full on 180. So go back to the offseason. They make they make the decision to keep to Vic and Sia player on. They move awesome guy, SNT, to player coach. They promote Hagapin. You know, they add apply. But then they sign a very, very suspect, a very questionable group of Korean players. I've said before that BQB, I can understand... He's always been one of the best Sombra players, but Swan, Chris, Zephyr, I believe I have this right, they they promoted Promise from Academy, but then they bring in Yeah from Lucky Future Zenith, who is a Korean team. Um, well, it's a team of, of Korean players and, and staff playing in uh, Contenders China. And then Mayhem seemingly cuts out the Western staff from the equation internally. And then they add McGravy. So forget about the record. Forget about the results just for a second here. Just think about the players. From a player perspective, how does the situation that's going on there work for any of them? How can you think that you're putting these players, especially the Western ones, in a position to succeed? 
oh, you know, well, well, that's why we made the decision to move to a full Korean staff. Like you, you couldn't do that in the off season. You, you couldn't have done that before re-upping to Vic's contract or, or plucking McGravy from Envy who, I mean, in his defense, from his perspective, I mean, hell yeah, I want to get signed by an Owl team. Of course, like you, you can't blame, you know, the players in these situations. I just like with mayhem, do you ever sit down and think to yourselves like even once, are we absolutely sure we want to keep going in this direction? We're committed to building a mixed roster here. Yeah. And how much convincing did it take you, you know, a couple of weeks later to figure out, okay, this isn't working. Now we're just going to pivot in, in 180 entirely. Florida looked, I don't know, a little bit better. I think last week, not markedly, but definitely a little bit. They mixed it up. They threw some new looks out there composition wise. From what I hear, it sounds like SNT has been the only coach who's been working with this team lately. I know they just hired Insight from O2 Blast, so I'm sure he's got to be involved now, probably remotely. Two names I've heard mentioned. I, I don't think I don't know if there's anything to this. This is really just kind of rumors that have been going around. But two people that I, I've heard mentioned could potentially join this team. And again, just speculation at this point, but I've heard Daco from the Atlanta Reign. X-Element Mystic, and and Coach Moon, who was previously the head coach of LA Valiant before, you know, he was let go prior to this stage. Um, I don't know if there's any substance to this. Ever since Moon was released from Valiant, he was the name I immediately thought of would be a good fit with Mayhem. I think there's an obvious lack of structure within this team. And Moon is someone who I think would be, like, he, he's a, Moon is, from what I understand, he's an authoritative presence. He's someone who would probably shake things up a bit, but I think in a good way. He'd provide the structure that the team, I think, needs. He's He definitely has a, a demanding kind of no-nonsense approach that at this moment, yeah, I think it would be good for this team. And then with Daco, again, can't stress enough, just rumors, nothing confirmed, just kind of stuff that's been being discussed, uh, especially with you know people speculating why Daco hasn't been playing with, with Atlanta recently. You know, Atlanta's been using Fried ever since he joined, and Daco has been benched, which it's kind of mind-blowing to me. Last week on the pod, I had Sideshow on, and he did mention that the Rain are struggling with comms. Maybe this is step one for them to move to a full Western roster. Obviously, if Daco does end up with the Mayhem, that's a huge signing, one that the team, I think, desperately needs with only Zephyr available for the off-tank role right now. I honestly think both Moon and Daco would be huge pickups for this team. Like I said, with Justice, teams like these two, you, you can't fix them overnight. You know, I noticed watching uh, Contenders Korea that WGS Armament was without a lot of their um, starting players. They were playing with a roster that was mostly full of, from what I can gather, players plucked from other open division rosters, teams that had competed in Korean open division this last season. I don't know if there's any potential link there. You know, I know I had mentioned, I, I think some of the WGS players had been, well, not think, I know that some of these WGS players had been trialing with NA Academy teams before this season of contenders. I don't know if, you know, a, a team like Mayhem would look at this particular bunch of WGS players and think that these are Overwatch League caliber talent. You know, that's that's certainly a possibility. But just going back to Mayhem, I mean, there's so much wrong here from top to bottom. And I think it speaks to the ineptitude of management here where this is what should have been done before this season deciding which direction to go, making some of these these bigger name signings. Obviously, 
Moon and Daco weren't available then, but I just mean committing to a direction to take this roster because now you've wasted a full stage, you've attracted more criticism, you've made everyone wary of of whether the people running this gig are are capable of actually putting together a competitive team. The scouting, the scouting with this team is is just dreadful. It seems like they're able to recognize deficiencies within the team. The issue is how they go about addressing them and fixing them. Like like Coach Moon and Daco are easy fixes, right? They're proven elsewhere. They're big names. They've had success. I don't think it takes a brainiac to see that that they will most likely help this team if, you know, later on down the road, they do potentially get signed. Another possibility here, though, is that there's just one too many cooks in the kitchen up top where maybe it's either too difficult to really carry out one person's vision. You know, if everyone's kind of championing for their own player signings or they're avoiding making difficult decisions about when it's time to move away from someone like Mineral, um, especially if no one individual is really above everyone else and, and can make that call on behalf of the team. For now, this team is just bad. Moon, Daco, if they end up siding with this team, I think those are potentially great signings that fills possibly two of the biggest holes in this team right now. If you make it go through, even if it ends up just being one of the two, I'd say good work. Maybe with those those two moves, you then give it a few games to see what immediate improvements someone like Moon can make, and then take inventory after the fact on whether you need to, I don't know, sign someone who isn't Swan or, or Hagopin. Swan and Hagopin are, in my opinion, probably the, the two weakest spots that this team has right now. I think Chris is moderately serviceable. Those are the two spots that, you know, if, if they do make changes to their coaches and and to their off tank, I think those are the, the next two spots that I'd, I'd, I'd try and fix. And if they manage to do that, I don't think Mayhem is any longer one of the worst teams in the league. Obviously, it depends on who they, they, they replace there. But if if Moon, if Daco end up with this team, props to the staff, I think those are great additions um, and additions that are so sorely needed by this team. All right, guys, that does it for uh, this week in the Mobcast. Thanks so much for, for tuning in. This was, I, I had some guests lined up for this week and this this topic kind of came up and I didn't really want to bring in anyone in. I, and I had known I was going to be kind of going in on some of these teams. I didn't want anybody to end up getting, you know, associated with uh, being overly critical or anything, especially if they're, you know, kind of with another team and they're working in, in uh, Overwatch League. So, yeah, next uh, next episode we'll get back to bringing on uh, regular guests. So, again, thanks so much for, for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.